and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bass. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Um, doing great. Great? Just generally, things are going really well. Wow. And you even just, like, tossed it off doing great. Yeah. What a charmed fucking life you must have. <laughs> yeah. Just waking up, loving life. <laughs> <laughs> Whistling while I work. Oh boy. Um, okay. Well, good for you. Keep that up, and maybe you can cancel me out because uh, I am, as I told you, I'm on day two of a diet, and I am right. miserable, absolutely miserable. Uh, yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. So it, it like basically, I'm, I'm doing the. Uh, Atkins thing, which I did oh. six years ago, and within a month I lost twenty pounds. Wow. But that first week, very difficult. Yeah. And I'm in day two, I, so you haven't introduced me, but I so want to jump in because uh, th- this is Matt Patterson. Hi, um, <laughs> and you'll introduce me in a minute. But I have an idea for a book, and I saw outside your um, uh, your house there's a taco truck, and yes. I want to I want to write a book called Taco Truck Diet. Uh-huh. Okay. What what's what's the book about? Is it about how this shouldn't exist that this no. diet would be no. terrible? No, the diet is fantastic because <laughs> it's I mean, only corn tortillas. You just have like one taco or a molita. It depends on the taco truck, right? Mm-hmm. But you just it's just smaller portion tacos. It's basically, and then I could get into um, because it'll be many chapters. It's like okay, there's the coleslaw, but I, basically it's just uh, cutting calories, but doing it with tacos because a, <laughs> who doesn't love tacos? You don't love tacos. I don't love tacos. Well, then that's the perfect diet for you. There you go. Yeah, you won't. <laughs> you won't pig out because you won't pig out. It's actually better for you than me. And I can't eat too many tacos, but I've tried to lose weight with a taco because I have a taco truck that I can see from my kitchen, mm-hmm. and it closes at three a.m. And you think that that's dangerous, but like, like tonight, like I didn't really. I, I ate like two granola bars before coming here, and then I'm like, oh, just maybe, maybe I'll go to the taco truck because I know it's always there. Right. Taco yeah. truck diet. Don't steal that. Okay. <laughs> Did you see there was an article? I can't remember what the what the website was, but uh, uh, they basically made the case if you were in a situation where all you had to choose from were fast food chains, yeah, you actually have there's more customization and more ability to eat healthy at Taco Bell than I, any other national chain. I, be, I believe that. I believe that, but I don't know if I would have. I mean, I guess you could put Taco Bell on the taco truck diet. I mean, just like, but, no, but it's second. Different. It's yeah. secondary. You know, you you can do it, but I think that that wouldn't wouldn't you like want to see like I could get on a talk show and I'd be like, I've got I've got a new diet for everybody. It's the hottest diet. It's called yeah. hashtag Taco Truck Diet. Oh yeah, the 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 the, the magas would love that. Yeah, well, yeah. everybody should love it. <laughs> you can't do it with a burger, by the way. The, it sure. doesn't work if you have one burger not the same thing what about pizza pizza will not work as like well like if I have one pizza a one day. slice of pizza it's still too much it's still it. too much bread right mm. it's like there's the perfect balanced diet on a taco what if I scrape everything from a pizza into a bowl and just eat that yeah but it's not a taco it's so it wouldn't be true. part of the taco truck diet. And especially if you don't like tacos. See, you're so avoiding the taco. Yeah. You're, yeah. The diet's working already. There you go. So this episode is brought to you by Matt Patterson's <laughs> Taco Truck Diet. <laughs> it's, on, no. it's available on Kindle. Uh, who is this episode actually brought to us by? It is brought to us by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means 
there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi, David, is... Alain René, is that how you say it? Sure, that's how I say it. Yeah, okay. Uh, Last Year at Marion Bad, which is a, a film oh, that's... One of my all-time favorites. And one that I watched... Yeah, uh, you saw... I mean, we lived together. We you saw it at film school, and I had not seen it yet. And you came home, and we're not happy. I was furious. <laughs> but at the, t- at the time, I really wanted my movies to make sense. Uh-huh. Uh, this is not a movie that makes sense. And no. in retrospect, I find it invigorating. Yeah. But at the time, my 19-year-old brain just could not... Uh, grasp it. I, I, again, I'm going to jump into your, your thing because that um, film school was the first time that I was simultaneously introduced to film, classic film, film theory in, in, a, in a heavier way. I'd taken a class in high school, so I thought I was the coolest when I came in. Yeah. But art movies were especially challenging because they're anti-movies, right? And it's sort of to, I, I sort of got it, but I didn't get, as you get older and you're mm-hmm. exposed to like anti-art uh, becomes more revelatory the more what you, you become anti the anti plot anti convention like okay, like yeah, the, right, the people right, would right. call that an anti plot that's that's the Robert McKee uh, yeah. uh, way to describe it but it but it is it goes uh, it goes against filmmaking right because with the medium of film you can achieve so many states. Uh, and some are visceral and some are intellectual, right? You're okay. experimenting with the form. But those uh, outliers, right, are never going to be as popular with the mainstream sure. Sure. because they're outlying experiences. But if you're someone who has, let's say, a giant wall of videos, mm-hmm. then when you see an outlier, you sort of can triangulate it better. And that's where the revelation right, right, right. comes in. And that's the thing is certainly now at this point in my life, and we were saying this uh, a little bit last week, David, that for so many other people, like when a critic says that a movie we were talking about Last Jedi, uh-huh. that a movie subverts expectations and critics are loving that. Right. And then Star Wars fans look at that and they're like, like, oh, subverts expectations. Like, when you see mm-hmm. as many movies, something subverting your expectations is delightfully refreshing. Surprise. It's Su- surprising. Yeah. And so, and last year at Marion Bad, like, at the time, I just wanted everything to be a certain way. Right. But now that I've gotten older and I've seen more movies and I've seen more movies that are just all kind of the same, mm-hmm. anything, like, we we can't talk about it, but uh, David and I were, went to a screening yesterday mm-hmm. that it was just like, oh, it's a breath of fresh air because it's just, it's it's different. And right. It's, and it's not afraid to be different. And no, last year, Marion Bad is very much that and it's like I said it's invigorating when I think about it now right and when you have a large selection of uh, you know media available to you and you're someone who loves media mm-hmm. then finding those gems yeah you know is it becomes important and uh, and there are 29 other gems available to you at Mubi right now. And there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Or go to BattleshipPretension.com and click on the Mubi ad on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, and I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today, I was, just, uh, I was listening to Radiohead. I like to, uh, part of my Twitter persona, podcast persona, is uh, pretending I don't like Radiohead to troll Radiohead fans because they're really easy <laughs> to troll. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I like Radiohead, so I was listening sure. to Radiohead today. Uh, it, it sounded was what it really turned my head around on Radiohead because it sounded so great. Of course, in these tweaked audio. The only earbuds. way you can tolerate Radiohead, <laughs> Radiohead. Yeah. is through tweaked audio uh, earbuds. Uh, <laughs> wow! So they're they're available at a low low price over at tweakedaudio.com But if you use the offer code Pretension at checkout, you get one third off that already low low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code Pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now, David, real quick, I've got a lift story for you. Uh, okay. Uh, that has to do with singing and... and Matt, Matt, uh, Tyler works with a ride-sharing concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, you put a lot of thought into that phrasing. Uh-huh. Well, I used to say it that way because I also used to drive for a lift. Indeed. Uh, yeah, I've been... Uh, since I got my degree, I've been mm-hmm. uh, driving for lift while I apply to jobs. I have an interview right. tomorrow. Good. To work at a... Uh, Are you taking a lift there? Huh? Are you? Uh, oh, it's via Skype. Oh, oh so, good to see you. So my plan is I'm going to put on like a nice jacket and a tie right. and right in the background will be this giant movie wall just to show <laughs> I know what I'm doing. You, right. should hire, you should hire me for this three week filmmaking summer camp. I, I thought you were going to tell me you didn't have pants on, which would you, you know, mean really, right now. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that is one of the neat things about Skype. Yeah. Um, but uh, no. So in the meantime, I've, I, I'm writing. I'm driving for Lyft. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other day and I have kind of my five hour Lyft playlist that mm-hmm. is on random and one of the songs on it is Cat Stevens Moon Shadow which mm-hmm. is a, a song I really love as did the, t- the baby boomer couple mm. in the back seat and they started singing it and yeah. I started singing it yeah. and all three of us were singing Moon Shadow <laughs> for the duration of the of the song and then I dropped them off and it was a really nice time that was that was a moment and then the next person got in yeah, and then it's time for Nine Inch Nails Hurt. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm, jo- I'm joking. That's not on my. I was, on my I was waiting for you for you to sing cat, "Cats in the Cradle" or something to to them. You so know. it's all cats. Yeah, just all cats. <laughs> just all cats. They come in. All right. So anyway, so that was my Lyft story about. I, I have uh, a Lyft Spotify playlist story from when I drove for Lyft. Okay, uh, it was un- awkward for me at least um, as a. Uh, an awkward, you know, uh, goofy white guy. Mm-hmm. But I, I picked up a girl and I was taking her to a hip hop concert. I don't know. Did they say concert. <laughs> to go to sure. And so, I, and, and so we ran into listening. Like I was like, oh, I have a hip hop, you know, playlist. That I listen to. So we we're listening to hip hop. So I dropped it off and I went to pick up the next couple who were a black couple. And like, so I get in. They get in and like the hip hop's playing. And like after a while, the guy like says, "Tell me the truth. 
did you start this playlist because you saw on the app that I was black? <laughs> 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 uh, and I said, I told him, no, I told him the story. I don't think he believed me. <laughs> and then you just kept calling him brother. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got some other playlists for you, and they're all curiously targeted. Uh, yeah, yeah. That would be good, though, if as a driver you look at somebody, judge them, and then hit, like, <laughs> you have, like, 12 playlists. I have I have done that before. I was uh, I was listening to Social Distortion, mm-hmm. and some people got in the car that were a little bit older, and mm-hmm. I got the feeling that they were not enjoying mm-hmm. my Social Distortion. So I turned it to Sam and Dave. Sure enough, within <laughs> oh, like good. thirty seconds, I'm like, "Hey, is this Sam and Dave?" And I said it is, and they said that it's really great. And it's, wow! Uh, I yeah. never really thought that people are judging me when I come into a uh, shared ride and perhaps changing their music. I just always feel. That it's like, um, uh, it's just the soundtrack I carry with me. There are only, there have only been two instances in which someone has told me to change the music <laughs> that I was playing. One was these young kids. I was playing uh, Nirvana. Right. And they asked uh, if they could play their own music. Right. And my first thought was like, it's Nirvana. What are you talking about? And I thought, like, yeah, they're not my age. It's fine. And the other, I was playing. Yeah, you're listening to classic rock. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And the other, I was playing the Pogues. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, I guess this this young woman was not into my uh, Irish yeah. weird rock. They were they were very British, and yes. they were like, the exactly. Irish should keep quiet, right? Um, all right, let's. Um, Let's introduce the guest oh. from the Warner Archive podcast. He's yes, been on, he's been on the podcast before. It's Matt Patterson. Hello, and if you don't mind yeah, my saying so, plenty, so, sure, yeah. The 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 key element, I think. Mm-hmm of our Harry Potter commentaries. You showed up early and you brought, uh, you brought with you some, uh, I forget what Bernie, Bernie Bur- bots, every Bernie bots. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You, you, you gave us a template for the rest of the day. <laughs> yes. Uh, Which wound up being vomit flavored. Um, yeah. Vomit flavored <laughs> blueprint. Um, so before we get into the topic, I did want to bring up cause I'm, uh, it's really, I'm really steaming mad about the, the, uh, uh, the news about uh, uh, Kelly, Marie, Kelly Marie Tran, who plays Rose Tico in mm. The Last Jedi, said yesterday she was leaving Instagram because she's been bullied with so many uh, sexist and racist remarks from the anti-TLJ uh, crowd of Star Wars fans. And uh, obviously that's infuriating. Um, I think the thing I really want to address, though, is... Uh, People who I think their hearts are in the right place, but they say this thing that always pisses me off. Okay. And they say, like, those aren't real fans. Mm. And I feel like that makes you sound like you're being compassionate, but mm. you're actually just, like, blowing it off in a way. It's just, sure. like, I, I don't like, you know, no matter which side of the politics you are, I don't like hashtag not my president because the reality is that mm-hmm. he's your president, so do something about it, you know? Yeah. I don't like this goes back to like this is a more of a specific hockey fan thing which, oh by the way congrats to the Washington Capitals one of oh. their first ever Stanley Cup tonight as of this recording <laughs> a few not, days ago Matt um, could not look less uh, interested in that you fact. know I I heard as I was uh, walking out of work late I heard uh, these two guys go well guess they got it yeah and, and, I, and i and i was like oh yeah the big game yeah, yeah they, they <laughs> and that's, that's always in june like kind of near my my birthday okay. and i always think it's so hot why why are you still doing hockey 
but uh, I guess so you can party afterwards. Which not, not, not only did the, the, the Washington Capitals win their first ever Stanley mm-hmm. Cup, they won it in Las Vegas. So they're going to have a fun time tonight. So that, that's actually why I've heard more about it is because the Vegas team is new. First ever team. And uh, that, that story in and of itself is, is pretty fascinating. A, Vegas doesn't really have any other professional teams. Right. And B, it's like the betting capital and all of a sudden they have a winning hockey team and they're like, huh, how'd that happen? But you know they lost money tonight. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing that's, and we'll get back to my point, um, to get a little more somber about the Vegas mm-hmm. team, their first home game was like just less than a, like about a week or two after the shooting. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this, this, this city that everyone else in the country thinks of as just a place that tourists go, mm-hmm. right? right? A city that doesn't have its own outward, outward identity. And in the space of two weeks, it has a really awful outward identity. Right. Then immediately something they can all rally around. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a big part of this Vegas Golden Knight story has been like, how mm-hmm. crazy is it that this expansion team has been so good? But also, how crazy is it that this thing that I think uh, is so good that it became so important to a city that right at the time that it needed it. Yeah. It's a fantastic story. It's going to be a movie someday, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and and you're right because uh, that was uh, something. You know, that was like one of those horrible events that does define a, a city and uh, people who uh, were there. You know, you like you won't forget where you were when that happened because right. I know where I was because I was driving home from Vegas. Oh, really? And I was in the middle of the. I was like at Barstow when it when I heard it on the radio. Because I had left like two hours before. And yeah. I was like, well, that's weird because usually when I leave L.A., I think, well, maybe something horrible will happen in L.A. when I'm gone. <laughs> but then I like the other way around. And that, yeah. that was just always those things. You know, it wasn't like a close call or anything. But but you no, you yeah. you know, all of a sudden that that moment of I you know, people in L.A., we know Vegas pretty well. Generally, most yeah. people do. And and that that moment where you're like, Ugh, you know, yeah. like that's like worst nightmare. And that kind of thing shakes the identity of. And, yeah. and, yeah, and then the, the the hockey team is just such yeah. a it's like Mighty Ducks. But yeah. Vegas, and I've been to a couple of games. Uh, this season in Vegas, it's it's fun, it's a blast. But that's not what we're talking okay, about. Sorry, the reason I brought up hockey is because back in I guess 2011 or whatever, when the uh, when the Canucks lost the cup to the Bruins, there was rioting mm-hmm. in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and there were so many Vancouver fans who were like, "Those aren't real Canucks fans." And it's like you don't get to decide that they're they're all wearing Canucks gear. <laughs> like, right. they, what do you think they just like? They put also, all this stuff on to go out and riot. Like they also kind of fly in the face of what we think of as Canadians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're not real um, Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so my, my point is, I guess obviously this thing that these 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 fans are awful. But I don't. I I get annoyed by the those aren't fans line of reasoning because it it sort of uh, removes any responsibility for being mm, a member sure. of a fandom, which I think is something that in the you know that maybe wasn't as big a deal in the earlier Star Wars times, but now the internet culture and social media being what it is, being a part of fandom, a part of a fandom is kind of an identity. And right. so I, I do think that, uh, um, just shirking the spot, the, 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 uh, uh, association, um, right. it is a way of not dealing with it. Well, and it goes beyond just fandom. It can go with anything that you're associated with being a right leaning Christian, um, of course, I've spent a good, but 
often in a community that is not that, I often feel like I have a responsibility to represent what I believe a certain way. But for a long time, I would just spend my time saying like, no, 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 the Westboro Baptist, that's not us. Or mm-hmm. this Republican, for a while, like, it's always a different one. It's like, uh, for a while, it was Rick Santorum. It's like, that's not, that's not the actual. And eventually, I got to this point where I was like, well, I think, I, I know that. And I think the person I'm talking to knows that as well. But I can't, it's not enough for me to simply say, that's not me. Okay, well, I'll see you later. I need to show what, I, what it actually is. Instead yeah. of instead of what oh, it is. this is like perfect kismet because the line that Rose Tico has in the Last Jedi is that you win not by destroying what you hate but by saving what you love. Right. So don't say those aren't Star Wars fans. Say I'm a Star Wars fan and here's what defines that. Here's yeah. what's good about being that. Here's what's good about being a Christian. Here's what's good about I don't know whatever your Lo- thing is being a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, just loving solidly built furniture. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, I guess I just wanted to bring that up. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this, but the the re- there's always the possibility that the reason that they uh, that quote unquote real Star Wars fans are not doing more than that is because it's possible they just don't care for the character. Not that that means that she should be bullied, of course. But for example, I don't think she should have been treated that way, but I could have done without her character and that entire subplot. See, I, uh, and this is what it's we're not talking her about. Fault, I actually I don't do like her. the character. I don't love the subplot, but I do like the character a lot. You know what? That's probably true. I think I do. I like the way she's performed, and I like the idea of this character who's not a glamorous She's, you know, she's just basically like a mechanic of sorts, right, right. but th- that can be hero as well. Right. I like that. I hate all that Monte Carlo stuff. Yeah. But, um, well, I can't bite. Um, whatever. But yeah, I think we said we weren't going to talk about the substance of the movie. It's yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, Mike. Well, no, but it, it, what, what you have is a, uh, there's this new way of people getting together. I mean, it's been around, but it's, it's becoming this sort of mass and, uh, people are using it. Uh, in many different ways, and one is this sort of neo mob culture, right? And it's like you get, and when you start to, and, and people have started to, you know, study mass behavior and the the madness of crowds, right? And so when you create these these crowds, they start to mm-hmm. exhibit. Uh, different behaviors and the and and these are virtual crowds and then there are instigators and followers and you know it's it's and uh just like with any crowd uh becomes hard to control that and when it is an organism in and of itself you're like well that's not me right but but they there's this just like whole field of study on what happens to the self in that. And that's again, not to excuse that behavior because each individual person is responsible for what they do. But in a, in a real crowd, people start to uh, behave differently or take on uh, different personalities, you know, like rioting. Right. And, and because that's an extreme example, Mm -hmm. people who would not normally break the law, uh, break the law and start acting poorly. And like Vancouver Canucks fans. Right. And, and it's like, and it just takes like what, what people would say, like a spark or something. Uh, but this can happen in online communities as well. They're not going to be able to 
uh, burn down the internet, uh-huh. but they can uh, destroy something or damage a community, and then the you know virtual community or, or, or a person, right? This can, this can turn on a person. Uh, it, it becomes, uh, you know, it becomes, uh, people describe it as toxic, right? Cause it's, it feels wrong and different. And, uh, I think it might take some time for people to work that out. I think, uh, you know, as society has modernized, people have become kind of more civilized. Like we don't burn people in the middle of the street as often anymore, you know, like, like right. it's just, but so I, I, I hope that as what you guys are saying, uh, people start to realize they're, they should be responsible for their own behavior. They are sitting at home. There is no one around them. <laughs> uh, and, you know, take a step back before you do something strange. And, uh, it's, um, a lot of it's in your head. Well, I think that's a good place to transition into the. Uh, uh, not that I can find a good transition, but no. Well, you're sitting at home alone. There you go. Sitting yeah. Alone. There you go. Wait, no, that doesn't matter. <laughs> that's true of either either way. Uh, I know. I'm just so. Uh, while you do that, you know, what are you doing? As usual, if, uh, if you feel angry, there are other things you can do, like. Uh, well, you can watch movies. Yeah, there's uh, a good there's a good thing you can do, and there are different ways. To watch movies now in this uh, in our in our new uh, reality um, miracle and, age, uh, yeah, and, and not only the different ways to watch movies, there are different ways to own movies, mm-hmm. uh, and there, the conversation that has bubbled up a couple times on film Twitter over, over the past week has been: uh, Is physical media still necessary? Right, um, and I think. Uh, the thing that I want to, before I address it, I guess what I want to, what I want to sort of bifurcate here is I think we, there are two conversations we need to have, which is, is physical media still good? Which I would say, yes. The other question is, is physical media still necessary? I think that's the thornier one because I right. think, uh, there's a certain trade off you get in terms of just like I've often made like, just like trolling Radiohead fans. Right. I like to troll the celluloid purists by sure. being like pro, uh, you know, the best way for the most people to see it is, is, is the thing that I say. And so I think what you might lose in, you know, by the, the, the compression and, and the, uh, the fact that you don't actually own the thing you own, <laughs> you know, I own a bunch of movies from Amazon but if Amazon goes out of business or yes. my yeah. internet connection goes down, I suddenly don't own those movies anymore. Yeah. Uh, but also, there is a trade in right. terms of accessibility to more people. So I think, I think those are the two different things we're talking about, but that obviously overlap. What do you guys think about the physical media question? Well, first, uh, yeah, I was wondering, uh, cause you had texted and said, here's what I'm thinking for this week. And I wasn't sure where it came from. And as you know, I'm not plugged into film Twitter, which I'm for you. which I'm happier about <laughs> with every passing minute. Uh, every time you tell me a story, uh, and so how did that start? Did like I one person know how these okay. things start? You, you know, because when you uh, texted me, I was like, oh, I know exactly what this is, and I, I I'm not a, um, a meme historian or anything, uh-huh. but I, I've seen it. You see it bubble up, and of course, uh, what's you know, they're great. And this is a good topic, a solid topic. And uh, as soon as a few people start having the conversation, it keeps getting asked again and again. And this conversation has has legs because mm-hmm. uh, it's it's 
very not only uh, is it interesting, but it, it's almost philosophical. Mm-hmm. And my uh, feeling on it is that uh, just like many uh, products, right? Uh, different people have uh, different needs, and they respond to uh, you know things, literal things, differently. They have different emotional connections, and. Uh, where you say bifurcate, you, there's one easy way uh, to um, bifurcate people who uh, collect uh-huh. and, and like stuff. And um, and then you can, of course, there's there's crossover in in all these categories. But uh, and uh, Dan, my my uh, co-host on the Warner Archive podcast, says that I start going way too far into '90s semiotic theory uh, <laughs> when I start talking about this. Like I just went to college, um, but I feel that a little bit of that model works when it especially comes to the the tactile or what what does the movie represent? Because to to really to just be real about it, like. And uh, there, there is no. Uh, I mean, there's there's copies, right? I mean, like except for the original camera negative, mm-hmm. which the studios mostly own. Some of them don't exist. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, there is no movie, right? Like the, it doesn't. It, it's not an actual thing. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of echoes, right? And so, how far? How far from that? that source are you and and how do you relate to it because if you uh it's kind of like how how much do you want to grab it and on and that's on kind of one side then the other is access as you said like of course uh as a movie fan uh we live again in a in an incredible age where there are more movies and and tv shows available at um uh, inexpensive as inexpensively as they've ever been available as uh, easily to access like there's just no arguing with that and that's across all formats and varieties right like I mean just so there's so much material available and just way more cheaply than ever before so if you are a movie completist a, a both is actually a perfectly good answer because you will never not have enough Right. Like, oh, right, like, yeah. like you just you just can't. And um, but people like to feel like a collector that they have access like to have a have a library. Right. Yeah. Like a, a place where they can go. And at a moment or a whim, you just boom, pull, you know, can pull it out. So you just said the word whim, which is something that was has been in my head, because for me, I don't. I don't think I, I don't believe I own, and if I do, it's by accident. I don't think I own any digital movies mm-hmm. because I know this isn't actually correct, but it does feel like it's not actually mine. Right. Because technology could fail uh, or my internet could go down or whatever it is. Um, and I definitely know that <clears throat> there have been times when like I want to purchase something and then my wife will say, well, you know, that's on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of things that have, that have been on Netflix since as far as I can remember, uh, right. streaming on Netflix. So it's like, well, I guess it's not going anywhere, but when it comes right down to it, like it's down to the whim of the studio. Like if they decide that they want to pull the West wing, 
off of Netflix. It's been on there for a while. Right. And, it, and so it's like, it's nice to always have access to it. But if they decide that they don't want it to be on Netflix anymore, or they want to make a deal with another streaming studio. Correct. Well, thankfully I, it's covered with a poster right now, but like I have the West wing over right. here. And so it definitely in, in its, in its weird way, we were talking a lot about like, uh, owning houses and buying houses. Mm hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, as long if, if you have an apartment, as long as you're paying the rent, there's no reason for you to be kicked out. But when it comes right down to it, the guy could always, the, the yeah. person could always sell the building they can sell it and you don't have it anymore. Right. And I recognize the bank could always still repossess my house or whatever, but as long as I keep making the payments, it becomes more mine. Well, or just a giant sinkhole. Sure. That's an <laughs> option, you know, which some of these Blu-rays I have. Oh, no question. <laughs> well, and, and that, that's sort of what I was saying about like, there's a tactile mental state to, to ownership. Right. And, um, you know, whether you can, and as, as, as you were saying, um, there's a, uh, there is a, a technical argument, but I actually like in meeting many people who are into movies and into collecting movies, it's, uh, that's, that's, that's part of it, but it's, it's just sort of how do you, uh, relate to things? Um, and then there are Uber collectors who I know who have thousands of discs and they own thousands of downloads. Right. It's like, and you know, cause sometimes you get a download code with a movie. Okay. You can pop that in and, um, and once you have that, it's like, oh, you have the convenience of it in your voodoo account or whatever. And then you also know that you've got the disc. Right. Uh, the the one thing that I notice is that um, and, and I have I have collections of dead media mm-hmm. uh, like I have a enormously heavy collection of uh, CED discs, which are analog yeah, yeah. You RCA. You and I had this conversation yeah. off mic before because oh. I, had an, I had an ex-girlfriend who was also a CED and, collector. And my CED does not work, so I can't even <laughs> play the movies. But there's like an onus of ownership that comes with a very heavy analog record, but it has artwork on it that is not... On any other, uh, sometimes they would be on like a laser disc or something, but sure. but some of them are, don't exist anywhere. So it's like I have this like totem of the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I could, you know, I know how to repair the machine. I could I could put it in, but the presentation quality is terrible. I mean, do I do I count that as owning that movie? Not really, but I do own it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it. I. I certainly do. And it has broken IKEA shelves. I had to buy steel shelves <laughs> for it because uh, those don't break. Like I really collapsed a shelf with my CED collection. And also, by the way, they make fantastic like uh, uh, white elephant uh, gifts of like Christmas time. You know, because you're like, here's Jaws, and people are like, what do I do with this? And I'm like, you own the movie now. <laughs> it's yours. It's also a collector's item that I paid less than fifty cents for. Right. Sure. How much did those go for when they were actually on the market? They were like, you know, twenty five dollars. So then this kind of gets into the history of formats. Right. Um, the videotape at first was very, very expensive mm-hmm. uh, and the, just the tape itself. And that was why the prices were like one hundred dollars because because mm-hmm. video. And that's why also like Doctor Who's were erased because you could demagnetize the tape yeah. and tape over it because the tape, the, those like two inch tapes or the inch tape, those were, you know, that wasn't cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so VHS tape was made to be cheaper, but it just they didn't manufacture a lot of it, so the tapes were pricey, and that's why we had rental, right? Because it was like well, hundred dollars. Um, I mean, I'm skipping a lot of history there, but but what, when the uh, disc, the the uh, analog disc was made, and some of the early um, laser discs. Those were imagined to be like the record player that you would put in the kid's room, right? And you'd buy those discs in like, we'll call it 20, 1979, 1978 dollars, that they saw those as records, right? Like, oh, you'd buy them like you'd buy an album. And so that's also why some of the early ones, uh, these were some of the first collections of music videos, because they were literally like thinking of it as an album. And a lot of the first uh, people who were hired in home video, right? And you're in a movie studio and you're like, we're going to sell these movies in the store. And they're like, who do we have at the studio who knows how to sell stuff at stores? Oh, the record guys, mm-hmm. right? So those were the, so everybody was thinking record. And to completely skip to the end of my point, <laughs> because I'm now going on too much, I see personally like, uh, because the music industry went through these changes earlier than the movie and TV industry. And if you look ahead and I think that that is how your um, movies are going to wind up where you have like subscription services like Spotify or something mm-hmm. where you can almost find anything. And then you have uh, people Not who Peter are Gabriel into music. Yeah. Except for people who write exactly except for exceptions. But then you have people who consider themselves, you know, physical movie f- uh, movie uh, music fans and they will buy an album mm-hmm. and in that album is generally like a download code mm-hmm. so people can listen to it on whatever they want but then they have this big album right and that album represents the music and it's heavy and you have to have a special like player that's not as convenient as your phone and you go through this like almost ritual experience of playing the album and uh, you know that I think that that's going to be where uh, physical media might wind up, like a, like a, if it's a Blu-ray or 4K or or a giant movie platter. I mean, it doesn't you know, or it flies in, you know, but it needs to be a thing, and that thing should probably have a nice piece of art, and that represents the movie. Yeah, I'm de- I am definitely looking forward to it getting to be the, thing, the last thing you said, which is the nice art, because one of the things that sucks about like when new like recent like right. first run movies come out in their initial like home video run it's just about let's put the actors faces on the cover right. because it's going to be sitting there on the <laughs> shelf at the store and i think i want to get more to where they it, are look it, like collectors items yeah and that uh people respond to uh original art um at, at warner archive uh the the art direction is to go more towards the original poster rather than the the VHS poster in the nineties. That was when they realized, especially in home video, because they were smaller boxes, uh, people would rent because there'd be a giant face of an actor. They recognized, which I called the big head phenomena, which I I will tell you, I discovered my favorite movie of all time, Barton Fink, (laughs) because I just liked John Goodman. And I was like the middle school kid. And I was like, it looks like he's making a funny face. He's got a funny tie on. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> so it worked. It <laughs> made then, me a cinephile. The thing. <laughs> I like that. That and then that wasn't the movie you were expecting. No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, but when yeah, we get it, to the element of surprise, yeah. you were like, whoa, yeah. I'm going to become a writer. Yeah, it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but but that but what you say that's that's important a way that i think that besides like having a um a thing that plays the media i, I sort of envision a, a few a sort of a future world right where you could have a collectible digital download like let's say that uh, there's a code or something on like an original movie poster, right? Or um, an object like uh, with like, you know, Chevy Chase's uh, Christmas Vacation. You get like the, you know, like a, a, a piece of uh, consumer product, like a shot glass with the moose head, right? Mm. And then maybe there's an RFID tag or some kind of thing. And like that's this object now becomes the movie. I can maybe lend it to you and you can put it on Mm -hmm. your, or scan it on your player and then it plays. But that's the sort of semiotics is that the object itself uh, represents the movie. And I can, I can give you that, Uh you know, and then somehow it, it plays. I mean, I don't, you know, that, that doesn't exist right now, but I, I see as a collector, I would feel like this thing is the movie it, do, it doesn't have to be a disc yeah when you said totem i think that was actually a, a really good term for it because it is something that represents the film and this is where i'm going to get kind of lofty one of the things that a lot <laughs> can, of people, can you get loftier than what i just did good let's just do it yourself. okay i'm preparing i just got out of graduate school i can yes. get lofty um so a common thing that I've been thinking, but also I'm certainly not alone in this in like in thinking of Netflix, but just Netflix as kind of a representation of the larger digital world is that there's just, there's so much uh-huh. and that's a great thing uh-huh. and also not right because it takes every movie and levels it. Yep. Levels you know, the playing field in be, front of you. You know, if you look on Netflix, it could be To Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. or some horseshit uh, horror movie that was made for a few thousand dollars, knowing full well Netflix is going to feature it and no one's going to watch it. Now, on one hand, that's kind of neat because someone could find a smaller movie that they never would have right. found otherwise. So I do like that. I like the access, but it also it just makes it almost makes movies one singular thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I grab, right. Hang on. I, Randomly. He, you are doing a random grab. Oh, shoot. I grabbed two. When I Sherry grab, baby. I grab Sherry baby starring Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes. And Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. The same Law. film. You can't, yeah, you don't get much different than that. But when I'm holding this movie in my hand, I put down Sherry Baby because I'm right-handed, and here's Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and, and by the way, this reveals to the audience that your shelf is alphabetical. Yes, yes. it is, <laughs> as it should be. Um, <laughs> right. But not unlike my shelf. My shelf has Blu-rays, alphabetical, A to Z, then DVDs. You've got them mixed in together. <laughs> I do, which was not my choice. I, I, really? A, it it is, was a fair choice. Is, well, yeah, how, no, how no, do you no. do? Oh, um... By uh, how I I uh, get them, I get them in waves, you know, and then I so I actually file by um, chronology of me getting it. Oh, so geez. and then and then they sort of bunch and then they they rebunch, but uh, but it's like I'm the kind of person who organizes by piles. Uh, and and I need a large amount of space. And then the unfortunate thing though is that when that messes up, I'm completely lost because it's right. like a physical thing. So so I feel where the movie is. Okay. But I know I can find it. All right. Because I know generally like oh I was filing these things over here at this time, and I associate it with a time and a place and an emotion. 
usually. Where is that movie? I have heard uh, of such things. Um, I would, I think I'd be, fi- I'm fine with this now, but like when we first started buying Blu-rays, I was like, mm-hmm. but they're different heights. They need to be <laughs> oh, in a different you, place. Yes. And, and my wife said like, I'm not going to take the time to figure out where something could be twice. Oh, that's so, good. Now, one thing you do that I don't do is you have TV. It has its own shelf. Yes. Whereas I have my TV mixed in. Yeah, no, uh, this, it makes it easier because sometimes I'm just also in sets. a TV mood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then in the other room, which is at some point going to be a kid's room, that's where we have like family films and animated films and oh, stuff. It's another cool. way of like separating them out. Right. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so the point is you're holding Sherlock Holmes. I'm holding yes. Sherlock Holmes. And at this particular moment, this is the only movie that exists for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like there are no other movies right. except Sherry baby, which I'm now holding. Yeah. In my left yeah. Hand. Now like, there's the, now you have two. Whereas if I'm holding my Apple TV remote, correct. All of like, like look at all these movies that exist, which is kind of neat in one sense. And in the other sense, like it makes all of them. It's like it's like that. It's, uh, it's that categorizing. It likes that. It's like that Incredibles quote, which is like, "When everyone's super, no one will be." Uh, yeah. Which is when you have access to every movie, no particular movie is is that important right now. Whereas in this moment, Sherlock Holmes is the most important movie and the only movie that exists. I know. I, again, that's very lofty. And I, but I, I've been thinking about the role of the curator, right? Sure. And you know, a, I hate that. I hate a, 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 but a podcast like this yeah. actually is you're you are curating movies, like okay. you, But it, without it gets even, a little close to the word gatekeeper, which I hate. Gate, sure. Gatekeeper controls, like mm-hmm. I mean, like you, you're, you're controlling access. A curator, and we'll do, and I'll call it in its most simple and most friendly form is. Uh, the people, the video store clerks, right? Because yeah. they're they're the you know between you and the movie is is usually somebody who you can ask or they contextualize you know the the films, and we're lucky enough to live in L.A. where uh, you can go see all kinds of live events and they're contextualized so many different ways, mm-hmm. and these are one of a kind ex- experiences that are just kind of lost to time, you know. But but they're uh, so so amazing, but what if you're not in a city of L- in LA? You know, you talk to a lot of people where they have very fond memories of the guy who owned you know Bob's Video or mm-hmm. whatever, and he knew everybody in town, and he knew their peccadillos, and you know, like they'd be yeah. like, "Oh, you like Meg Ryan? You, you're gonna end? <laughs> you like AOL? You know?" But they, <laughs> but he he was that guy, and and you know when you have. Um, uh, a- Amazon and Netflix, you know, they try to create an AI that can help predict. And while those are somewhat helpful, they're, uh, you know, and also like social media, there's there's all this predictive stuff like of, of what you like. But we're so familiar with the limitations of that. Yeah, I don't yeah. like I, I, I really hate the way that the that uh, that these services are, like suggest stuff for me. Right. Um, now, obviously, with something I mean, not, I'm not talking about some like movie. Uh, I don't want to defend them just because they're a sponsor. But right. that's a different thing. That is true. Because it's curated. It's that's not a different. Yeah. But it, it, sometimes I feel like when I watch a movie on on Netflix or on Hulu and then before the credits even finished the next trailer starts yeah. it it feels in a way it almost feels like they're saying less watch this they're saying don't look over here right you know and that's yeah. really it's, a, it's a distraction i, I want to find for myself yeah, i think yeah, it's yeah. i think it stands to reason that no ai would ever say oh you like sherlock holmes 
you would enjoy sherry baby. That's, <laughs> but that's exact. That's exactly what I, yeah. it, it is. And that when you have discussions about media and what do you like and then it can go through you know and like just by talking to you guys okay i now know you both have blu-ray players you know i have a blu-ray maybe you'll like that and you know like okay um you're 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 building that relationship and and then that's personal but then when you in a video store is sort of a next level and then um listening to a show or or uh so, you know like filmstruck is you know they'll organize the films by a director or something if you like you know i mean they they work with the limitations of the catalog that they have at that moment but if you're struck by something quite literally filmstruck um you it it helps it it's helpful mm-hmm. it's helpful to you and making it organic uh feels more real but when I hand, if I handed you a movie, right, that's like me saying, hey, watch this. You are more likely to watch that than if I send you like a link, you mm-hmm. know, or something less tangible because it doesn't, it, well, part, it, it exists in the cloud. Well, because that link has to compete not merely with other movies, but everything else online. Yeah. If you hand me all my a, other links. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, here's a link to a YouTube thing yeah. or an article or a movie I highly recommend. Like, I send out yeah. all of them, uh, as yeah. David can attest. Yeah. yeah, so then it becomes a choice of like, do I watch the movie? Or do I take this BuzzFeed quiz? Exactly. <laughs> like, they're equal, well, they're, your thing before, they're maybe the, equal footing. The BuzzFeed quiz could be about what movies you like. There you yeah. Go. <laughs> Um, well, the, uh, I'd say, I, I, I think we're making really, really good points. Um, to bring it back to the conversation as it existed on film Twitter, I think where people bristle uh, at the pro-physical media people is the suggestion of elitism or purism of saying like, yeah. you haven't, you know, uh, why would you, why would you settle for watching, for streaming it when you could have this uh, like much less compressed, uh, and I, that's why I, 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 but I that's just what, find some elitism right. in that. But because that's for, well, for the, I just want to say, yeah, just for the cost of a, a Criterion Blu-ray, you could get months of films truck. Yeah, you know, correct. That's, that's the trade-off. And that's the, the cost benefit, right? And, and that exactly what you said is, is, is correct. And also, that's also why they're rental options right which are uh less expensive you know you can still get dvds and blu-rays from netflix uh and that's a profitable business right for for them still it's actually more profitable you know it's not more money but it's more profitable than the than the streaming business because they're just putting so much money into content right now um but uh, the the access, the pure access and cost cannot be beat because there is there is nothing uh, physical trading hands and it's in and if you if you have a good internet connection which is another uh, assumption yeah, that is yeah. made uh, it, it can't be beat. if you don't have a good you know I, I uh, last year I was up or it was uh, maybe the year before I was up in northern Michigan right and everybody was. Uh, who's vacationing up there was fighting over like one of those like tiny cell phone, like, um, uh, wireless, hot th- uh, yeah, hotspot. Yeah. I mean, like you got four people on that thing. It's jam- I mean, you're not getting streaming. You're not yeah. getting streaming on that. Right. It's not yeah. coming. Well, and to speak a little bit of the neighborhood in which I live as you're driving home, mm-hmm. uh, 
if you'll uh, on Van Owen and Woodman, mm-hmm. you will see a video store called uh-huh. Star Video. It didn't survive. It it opened a few years ago. Uh, like after cool. video stores were dead, it yeah. opened. And I think and I remember being fascinated by that. But then I also realized like I don't necessarily live in the best neighborhood as far as uh, Wi-Fi connections. Right. But then also it's not like I could see people feeling like they can't really afford a streaming service right. or or like a really great uh, uh, wire, a Wi-Fi connection. A 99 cent video is, yeah. is a good, it's still a good deal. Yeah. Right. As a rental, that's actually less than uh, most rentals. You know, it's like two bucks for Amazon. Um, yeah. It, that's not to say though, you know, much like, like when you look at it, like who, who collects CDs still, Right. Like, I don't. I think my mom actually just announced that she was, she's like, I don't think I'm really buying CDs anymore. And yeah. like, this was three months ago. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I'm like, well, okay, that's it. Right? But, I mean, like, it's people. When pe- your mom gets yeah, up, that's yeah. when you know. I mean, people still have them, but she's like, well, it's just not in my new car. Right? Like, right. like I mean, she has a, a player in the kitchen. Um, she's not throwing them all out or she hasn't put them on the curb, but she's like, well, why am I buying a new one? Right. Uh, that's just the kind, I think that that's kind of eventually what's going to happen. Um, but again, collectors will probably keep it right. alive. And I think it's why, you know, you guys at Warner Archive, when it comes time to design the, the cover, you go back to the original artwork. Yes. Obviously, Criterion does original artwork unless it's iconic, like, right. you know, Eraserhead or something like that. Yeah. And then you've got, like, Scream Factory designing their own stuff. You've got Twilight Time. Like, all of these companies that are rooted in collectors, need, they realize, like, we need to do something more than just the movie. We need to yep. incentivize by having, like, maybe there's a little booklet with an essay in yeah. there or some really special you you know, can, special features. You can do all kinds of things. And that's uh, the great and the fun part about marketing to collectors because they're people who uh, care about your product. And that doesn't mean you can't have a digital uh, version right. of it as well. Um, just another interesting, and this is... Uh, a digital note is that you know it, it costs a lot of money to re- remaster or uh, a, f- a film, um, and uh, when the home video uh, business and cable they were switching to HD, uh, there was kind of more money in the system to make those uh, transfers back then, but they were not made with incredible care. But that wave. They were made with incredible care because nobody, you know, it was new and it looked great, mm-hmm. right? And and a lot of times you'd get a 2K scan then. Uh, but when you take that scan from, like, let's say the early 2000s, the late, the late 90s even, and uh, those get fed into the streaming services if the people who are ordering them uh, or the, you know, the store like Amazon, Amazon doesn't, you know, they're not like, oh, we need the best fidelity. They just like good enough, you know, check. And they're not even necessarily going to always update when there's a new uh, version available because right. that's nobody. People complain. People don't uh, in streaming because there isn't that connection. They don't care as much. But 
when you have the, the physical thing and you put that emotion, you know, because that becomes the representative of of the film, like the mm-hmm. the, the thing uh, of of record, uh, people get very very emotional about uh, physical media, like much more than than streaming or or even uh, downloading to own, you know, or rent. Um. This is maybe getting a little off topic, but something that uh, comes up uh, at my job every once in a while, I don't say on the podcast where I work, but um, uh, the idea, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't really until the quote unquote DVD age that we, that a lot of people really started to get the idea that there is a definitive version of every movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, they knew like, you know, things were being shown, especially you go to like, uh, like at the beginning of widescreen, you know, when, when stuff was one eight five, so it was still being shot safe for one three three. Yeah. Cause not every theater in the country had the, the plate or whatever, and, you know? And, and, and Walmart didn't want, uh, a widescreen version, sure, yeah. you know? So it's like, Oh well, yeah. Well, we're uh, talking, speaking of video store employees, Tyler and I have the age that we were video store employees at the popularization of DVD. Right. We educated a country. People our brethren and us on what, <laughs> what letterboxing was. Try to anyway. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, the the aspect ratio wars have not ended. Uh, there's oh, yeah. still a lot of guerrilla warfare going on, and yeah. it's, I wish I had the other stories I wish I could tell, but they would. The, the way I work. It's it's always interesting that and and even at people who are uh, you would expect would know better um, when they see a tiny bit of black on their screen that makes them very nervous. And I, I heard actually somebody at um, a Blu-ray uh, Comic-Con panel, uh, you know, it was like all these Blu-ray producers were up there and they had been talking for 45 minutes straight about, you know, the care and the remastering. And a guy raises his hand, stuns all the panelists by saying, so I don't understand. I'm paying for all this screen size and it's not full up <laughs> <laughs> and like you you sat through a yeah. blu-ray panel and you know like like that and your concern is that you're not getting the value of your television yeah. like like I, i'm like wow where where did everybody go wrong in that because it's you know but but that's that's just something so like i don't know is that fundamental to people's heads but like when you go into a movie theater right like the good theaters they have the curtains like you know they they set it to the aspect ratio beforehand so people aren't like i paid for this (laughs) giant white screen why isn't it filled with movie yeah (laughs) right like i but but you know at least fill the sides with advertisements or something something. like that although amc apparently no longer masks like as a point of policy they don't ask for uh, oh boy! Like, well, it's, it's like they, they say it's the the screens they're using now are aren't it, like as. Well, that's, but but that's, you know what? To be honest, I I don't I don't notice it really. Like like I, it's because I, I guess maybe I'm used to watching my TV, and <laughs> right, yeah. because I'm watching you know four by three movies and there's big you know it's not exactly black right. I right. don't I don't put a curtain over my TV. <laughs> oh, see now you like you didn't see my living room. I kind of I borrowed like a puppet theater uh, and and I put my TV in it. I think we could sell that yeah, right. For, that, that like TV. probably. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, oh, this one fits 42-inch TVs. And you're like, eh, eh, you know, and you, yeah. little little ones at the top and the bottom if you really want to. Yeah. 
Any other uh, question? Yeah. We're gonna, you guys, we're going to make this in the taco yeah. truck diet. Oh, my gosh. We're going to be on Eaton Street. <laughs> I, I really, the sad part is I can really picture it. Yeah. It's yeah like, okay. it's, and then you could always be a puppet show, right? Remove the <laughs> <Exactly>. television. <laughs> but but you have puppet shows at like 2.0, 2.55, you know. See, yeah. I don't think, what I would do is I would not tell my guests which it's going to be and let them see if they can figure it out. <laughs> uh, I... And, and this is just now. This is an aspect ratio complaint, but this also um, ties into physical media because uh, because physical media is by the people who put it out considered more definitive. Um, and this is where I'm. I know I'm a snob. I, I was flying home on an airline, and I'm I'm like, oh, I'm on a twelve thirteen hour flight, and uh, for some reason I'm totally awake, and I'm like binge time. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm going to watch some classics I haven't watched in 20 years. And I will not name them, but I, I put on uh, every single film had the wrong aspect ratio that I put on. And these were major releases. But just somehow between coming from the source to the to the 16 by 9 screen, people made decisions. And mm-hmm. the the. You know, you can expect somebody to stretch a four by three to the screen. So everybody in a classic movie is fat. And, yeah, and all I'm doing is trying not to see it the whole time. But, you know, the people in the 50s, they were a little thinner. Now they look more <laughs> modern. Right. I, I got I got around that. But then I saw a uh, cinemascope film and I thought, oh, this will be interesting to what they do. And then, of course, they correctly mask the title, right? And it's like, you know, it's kind of in there. It's a little it's it's pillar boxed and letter boxed. And I'm like, uh oh, this isn't a good sign. And then it was four by three stretched. So it had pan and scan and stretched. And I was like, this is a movie of incredible, uh, you know, like <laughs> reputation, like, well, you know, AFI top 100 film of all time wow. film. And I'd kind of uh, a- asked some questions and they're like, oh, somebody just probably pulled a four by three TV master. And then everybody's like, oh, four by three stretch. So that's how it became. Like it was just like a series of bad decisions. Yeah. Now, and someone somewhere that is going to be the first time they see that movie, yes, and they'll yeah. be like, "Like, ah, Gone with the Wind isn't that great? I don't know why everyone's talking well, so much about it." <laughs> well, it wasn't that movie, okay? But it, it, um, you know, again, like I think that uh, uh, a a a non movie snob is is more willing to roll because they don't know what they're missing. And I guess when it comes right down to it, like. I'm going to guess that the three of us all came up on VHS and all, you know, yeah, everything pan and scan and, and all scan. that. I mean, I grew up on, I watched Star Wars all the time and it was pan and scan and not, and right. when I finally saw like a widescreen version, I was like, oh. Yeah, it's, it's a little revelatory. Okay. Which is exciting, but that's the thing, it's like, it didn't stop me from falling in love with these movies and with yeah. movies in general. So I guess there is that. No, and that's, and you know, like, and these were genuinely good movies, and I yeah. sat through terrible presentation. But that was when it hit me where I was like, well, I could just get a disc, you know, mm-hmm. like when I get home and, and see it, you know, um, because that is the advantage of having something that is quote unquote correct, right? But, right. but, here I am for for free on a 13 hour flight and I had 
hundreds of hours of movies and TV shows like spanning eras and nationalities because this was an international flight. Uh, so I was like, "Ooh, look, Scandinavian crime dramas. Does this one does this one have English subtitles? I can watch the whole series. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's incredible, right? Like, mm. like, you know, I'm old enough that, you know, they had one movie in the front of you and yeah. you could barely see it. It was four by three and the colors were terrible. <laughs> and I couldn't afford the headphones. Of it was also edited. Yeah, edited. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Edited and I couldn't afford the headphones so I would roll up a magazine into a cone and jam it into the, the you never did that? <laughs> no. no. So that was the old way. So the old... Uh, the old speakers for for movies on um, plane flights used like um, they were essentially like a doctor's uh, stethoscope, right? Because the speaker was in the armrest, uh-huh. and so the way that they made money was you you could not take an off the shelf you know headset. Right, you had to like rent their special headset. So since I was cheap, I would pull the armrest up and I would make like rip off the back of the in flight magazine, make a funnel and jam it in there, so you'd hear the movie like this. <laughs> Now, I saved $3 or $6, and I saw the movie in one ear. Yeah. (laughs) Sound was terrible, but I did it because I wanted to see the movie, right? Like, so... Again, that's the opposite. Did I do I own that? Did I I owned the moment? Um, <laughs> you sure did. Do you want to know? I, I just remember the the last movie I ever saw that way when I was on a plane. Uh-huh. It was there was just the one uh, was hanging up. <laughs> do you remember that movie with uh, who's uh, it's like Lisa Kudrow and Meg Ryan? Yeah, yeah. I didn't see. I did not see that movie. Yeah. But I think so that I might, like might have 2000, seen two thousand two thousand one. I think yeah. it was the last time that I. I saw a movie that way. I think around like 2002 was the first time that they had the individual movie because probably my one of my favorite uh, in-flight movie experiences of of that early time is I took a Virgin Atlantic flight Mm. and I we were I was flying into London for the very first time. This is and uh, 28 uh, days later. Was and it hadn't been released in the U.S. Oh wow! And everyone's asleep. I've never been to London, and I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> and like that, everybody wakes up, and then and then I could watch the movie again. And so I'm watching the movie. You know, it's like I watch it like one one and a half times, and I'm like, oh my god, are you landing at the airport? And I'm like totally freaked out. But it, I hope there's people when I get. Yeah, there. I hope. I hope or not. <laughs> Might be, you know, I could certainly see the Tower of London much easier if everybody <laughs> is gone. But it was, it, but that again, that's like, you know, it's like the, the the sometimes and with the love of movies, when you when you like a movie or connect to it, you remember the place, the presentation, the delivery, right? Like that all becomes part of the experience. And so, who's to say, really, honestly, what's what's right and wrong? Uh, in that I I liked that movie because the context was so lined up and it was so mm-hmm. perfect in its weird way that I saw it. But I if I was going to suggest, oh, well, you should I would probably say you should go see that in the theater. Right. Like that, you know, with the with this. But but uh, and especially home video people know that. Uh, the same movie, right, that you see at home in one way or you see it in the theater and it's on film. That's another way. I mean, like what? And that's getting into even more film nerdy thing. Like it's the 35 millimeter print and more pure experience of owning the film. Right. right. Then, oh, right, then right. having it on, a, on, a, on even like a 4K. Right. Like like what's 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 right. 
Yeah. Uh, Which well, is uh, certainly something we've talked about on the show before. It could be oh. an episode in itself. I yeah, sorry. I just, keep, look, I just keep going. No, that's fine. I think we should probably look towards wrapping up. Does anyone have any final thoughts on this subject? By physical media. Okay. <laughs> but also, it's not... It doesn't make you a bad cinephile no. to see something for the first time uh, digitally. Just like Tyler and Matt and I saw things for the yeah. first time on VHS or well, CED. And, and some of yeah. and there, I believe the first time I ever saw a movie like Predator uh, yeah. was on TV. You know? Oh, yeah. And so there, that's the oh, other thing is see, that and I still, I still love that, but, but that, I also realize like I need to see the actual movie now. See, and that's a lot. Like, I guess everyone draws their own line in different places. To me, a movie that I have seen only the TV edited version, I don't think of that as a movie that I've seen. It makes me think, like, I should see that movie for real, which was the case yeah. for me as a kid because my parents are very strict about R-rated movies. There are a lot of R-rated movies that I discovered in one way as a kid, but I don't think right. I really saw, like, Blazing Saddles until yes. I was older because I yeah. wasn't allowed to watch that version. And, and, and some of the, like, ADR, like... Uh, the, the, the looping like realizing that like so, I mean some of it's obvious but then there's some stuff it's like I had no idea he said like somebody go back and get a shitload of dimes right. there's always a mess of dimes and the camera's far enough away that I didn't realize yeah you waited though line. I saw um, I saw the jerk for the first time on a 13 inch black and white TV uh-huh. with commercials. Right. And at what point did you realize in your life? Did you realize I, I, the dog's name was shithead and that's stupid? Wait, cause that's, that's I thought it was stupid. Yeah, I, I thought I, I, cause other kids had told me because like I wasn't allowed to see R rated movies. Uh-huh. And so other kids were like, well, the dog's name is shithead, but it was like, but I still <laughs> to this day think of it as stupid. It's funny that you said that cause that's exactly where yeah. I was going. Cause stupid worked really well. Yeah. That's like one of the, the better forms of ADR. Yes. And now when I see the movie for real, I hear, I hear stupid. That's so funny. Yeah. You're like the only person I know who has that same <laughs> no, and problem. I, think I actually, uh, <laughs> the part, the part where he thinks the dog is saving the entire uh, yeah. hotel from a fire. Yeah. Yeah. Him continuing to call the dog stupid yeah. at that point is actually kind of funnier than it's, shithead. It totally works. <laughs> but I don't know. Sh- I, 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 I've always thought that shithead, not unlike fuckface, is like one of the funniest things that you can call someone. Uh, it, but Also true, but I spent, you know, with commercials, probably two hours with the dog named Stupid. Right. Uh-huh. Well, and, and incidentally, like, this is why I... Uh, I've spoken on the show before and I don't want to go too much into it, but, uh, 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 vid angel, the, uh, the streaming parasite, it acts as though it's a parasite. Like you can attach it to your streaming service mm-hmm. and you can filter out content that you don't like. Right. Um, why I speak so much against it is because when you look at people talking about it very favorably they're like oh i really like that movie especially when it takes out all the stuff that wasn't necessary it's like that's the movie though right. you haven't watched the movie it, you've watched some horseshit that you came up with in your head that you think is is necessary and i like yes i agree they have not seen the movie when they right. watch the edited for content because it's often, often for tv it's often edited for time as well yes like, right, right. i remember and can be sped up yeah, yeah. Like I saw, I saw Aliens uh, first on home video. Then I record, and I loved it so much that I recorded it off of TV. The entire sequence of the Marines waking up mm-hmm. and interacting with each other was cut for time, yeah. including uh, like the Bishop uh, knife sequence. Like 
gone completely. But you know, there are some movies. The one that's leaving to mind for some reason is National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One. Okay, which is such because it's like an eighty-something minute movie, and they it's added actually, stuff. They add stuff. There's extra they added stuff to Ace well. Ventura as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a uh, Warner Archive has a lovely release of the TV cut of the first Superman movie, uh-huh. and it's 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 a fascinating uh, production history because uh, they wanted to divide it into two nights. So Uh they basically took uh, many pieces of footage that uh, perhaps the director felt was completely unnecessary and they stitched together this. And when you watch it now, um, because it adds so like almost every piece of footage they could find because they were paid uh, by time rather than, you know, because that was just part of the network deal. Uh, it becomes this almost like lyrical 70s movie. <laughs> like it's like it takes on this poetry where you're like, you don't you don't see that in the other cuts. And there are people who um, prefer that that cut. And we we found my boss found um, the, the film. We, we didn't even know that that existed, but a film element for it uh, scanned it. And uh, did have a beautiful 2K presentation of something that only existed like uh, people would, you know, pirate them or like they were taken from VHS or beta dubs. It had this like kind of legendary status of like the extra long version mm-hmm. of Superman. But yet uh, it's it's almost like a, a footnote, but a footnote of an iconic movie. And yeah. when you watch it, it's di- and so now when you watch it in. Uh, HD, right? In 16 by 9, uh, without commercials, it's different than what was on television, which was 4 by 3 with commercials. You know, even if you cut out the commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so it's created this whole new experience, yeah. like on top of the old one. It's so strange. Like, I, I love that because it's like, and again, this is, we're, we're touching on like, what what is the definitive version? You know, like what? Yeah. Well, and, and how were you introduced to it? Like in the late seventies, there was the Godfather saga, which for like USA or something like that. I don't remember, but, uh, they had recut Godfather right. one and two together and put them in chronological order. Yeah. So it literally starts with Vito yeah. in it in Sicily. Oh God, I've never seen that version. Not, I think I did. And it's, and I it's used interesting. to have it on VHS. Oh really? And I, I think I sold it on eBay. I never actually watched it, <laughs> but, but that's kind of, I mean, see like, that's exactly, that that's my wheelhouse because I'm like, ooh, I want to see like the chronologically correct version of yeah, the story. Yeah. I mean, why why not? Where the yeah, but it's interesting because like if somebody watched that and that right. was their introduction to the Godfather, like when you think <laughs> of the structure of Godfather two, just drawing yeah. parallels between yeah. these two guys, like yeah, that's gone now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's literally <laughs> like this you got epic. young Vito, old Vito, young Michael, older Michael, and that's the saga as opposed to like this swirling thing. Yeah. And uh, it's like it's, literal. It's it's a hundred percent literal. It's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's wrap up. Okay. Did you have something you wanted to No, I, 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 I was, <laughs> I just, I, I don't mean to go on and on forever and ever, but I, I just uh, got back from Sicily. So hmm. when you go to Sicily, um, there are some, there are a lot of Godfather uh, tours uh, there and you can, you know, like um, 
And of course, just like California, you know, there would be one place in Sicily would be filmed representing another. So there'd be sure. battles and they'd be like, this is where the donkey scene was really filmed. And <laughs> I brought back a flyer for the Godfather donkey tour like in English. <laughs> and I was like, if I had more time, I would so go on this. But I, the whole time I was there, I just thought of the, the very end of the first Godfather movie where he does happy in the vineyard, you know, like, yeah, right, right. like an I'm like, yeah, it's not bad. I can see that. I can see that happening here. Uh, I well, I wanted to end yeah. with this. I was okay, going to ask good. you guys, what is? And I know it's. I, I'm springing it on you, so you haven't had time to think. What is your favorite bit of physical media that you own? Oh, that's a good one. Hmm. And by the way, I just came up with it, so I don't know my answer. I've got. I, yeah, I have like narrowed down baby. to a couple. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, it would probably be something, probably some criterion. Right. Um, and in this case, it's not even necessarily, I do, I, my favorite movie, Nashville, is packaged quite wonderfully by Criterion. But their packaging for Red River uh-huh. is really great, yeah. uh, partially because they included, like, the book that it was based on, but also the material feels like the old west and uh, oh i like that's, that that's something that i really like tactile um, yeah, very much so yeah i wish i if I, I wish i were a bigger home video nerd to know what i have that is out of print because i'm sure, sure. I have yeah stuff yeah it's out of print um but i don't i don't know as far as like movies that i had only you mentioned criterion made me think of a movie that i had always loved but only knew on vhs for a long time as a film student and then criterion put it out and i got it on blu-ray and i love it even more and that'll be merry christmas mr lawrence sure i think it's a great uh looking blu-ray it's great sounding i think people yeah sometimes people who aren't uh like us focus on the uh what's what i'm looking for um the resolution sure of blu-rays and and don't also think about like you know you've got full great full sound if you've got a good sound system or a yeah. decent sound bar like I have uh, what's his name Ryuchi Sakamoto I think did the uh, the music from Merry Christmas to Lawrence um, and uh, I don't know that's that's gonna be my fill-in answer for now it's just yeah. gonna, in terms of something that I was really eager to buy on Blu-ray when it came out but I'm sure I can think of something yeah. uh, else if I went home and looked at what's out of print that I have um, I I have, and I was trying to remember the exact name of it, but on VHS, I have a very rare VHS of the Hanna-Barbera's cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, I think is the oh, one, oh, wow, which yeah. which is a, a uh, anti-drug a crusade where it's George like... George C. Scott is the voice of like the smoke thing, right? Uh, you know, I don't have a VHS anymore, oh, so right, that, yeah. that works. But yeah, it, I th- you're right on that one. And then there's a... Um, a multi-studio one where it's like uh, there's another anti-drug one. That and might I, be the one I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. And because there are two, and one is from the late '80s, and one is from like 1990. Uh, and I have, I only have one, so I, I want, I want like a set of those because it's, it's got like McDonald's. It's got, it's, it's basically like an IP nightmare uh, yeah. that can <laughs> yeah. never be yeah. recreated. But it's such a strange blip of home video and like you know the, you could probably find pirated versions of it but the yeah. fact that i have it on vhs and it's like yeah i don't even have my v i, I have a vhs but it's not hooked up yeah. but i just know that um that's really the one thing that's kept me off drugs it's i remember yeah 1990 cartoon <laughs> all-stars to the rescue not the hanna-barbera one like i remember they they played that up it's like 
holy shit, Ninja Turtles, yeah, Muppet Babies, Garfield, they're all there. How yeah. exciting. And even as a kid, when I realized what it was, that it was this anti-drug thing, I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like seven or eight, and already I was like, you guys are assholes. Yeah. I was really looking forward yeah, to you this. You turned the Ninja Turtles into a bunch of narcs. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they were. Yeah, maybe they yeah, were. They had true. to live, you know, in the sewers for a reason. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the Ninja Turtles are stoners. I think that's their thing. Uh, yeah, they, they definitely be, became that. Um, I was, of course, the nerd who was upset that uh, the second movie did not follow the comic books as closely and had oh, been yeah. ruined by childhood. So, yeah, you're older than I am. I, yeah. I discovered Ninja Turtles through the cartoon. Yeah. Right. I um, Later I learned that it was a I, of course, found them in, in a comic book store, and uh, I meticulously learned. I, it's still the only thing I know how to draw. <laughs> because like I learned how to draw them, yeah, uh, and and you know like I, I worshipped it, and then they, when they when it came out, I I uh, on uh, the movie, I was like, this is the most amazing superhero movie of all time. <laughs> like I was, I I that loved it. I, lo- I loved it. Yeah, and to the and I got the soundtrack CD. It was like I think that was my first CD that I owned, uh, really? and so I first CD I owned was. Uh, God shuffled his feet by the crash test on <laughs> oh, that's that's <laughs> fair. That's oh, that's good. Yeah, not I, I did have MC Light like a mic like me. <laughs> as far as Ninja Turtle stuff though, I uh, did have the Pizza Hut oh. coming out of our shelves. Do you remember it was a bunch oh, of like yeah. they were it was the turtles as a rock band. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had it's that. Like, don't you guys have crime to fight? <laughs> that was your whole thing. Well, it, it you know, it, it went away from that. But uh, but I but I still I love that and I had to get old enough to get over that over myself, I guess. Yeah. It's like it's, it's about maturity and then going back. And now of course, the second movie is really the the treasure that uh has, has been given <laughs> to humanity. The, the go ninja, go. Yeah, yeah I mean yeah. that David Warner's in it. Uh, yeah, that that's yeah. like Man, the best movie, um, but the first one is the best representation of the comic book. Well, I always liked the character of Casey Jones, and I was bummed he wasn't in the second film. Yeah, no, well, because he was too dark. You know, the, yeah. they felt that he they didn't know how to incorporate him for for kids. I mean, that's a, the, and then they turned the him problem. into like a full on comic relief in the third film. Yeah, which is not good. But but I have to say that the cartoon was uh, the one thing that the cartoon did. God, this has gone way off the rails. Yeah, uh, was to differentiate them by color with the mask because yeah. the, the comic book they looked exactly you knew by the weapons yeah which okay. is how by, basically I learned uh, all about ninjas was from yeah. that, and that comic book in the cartoon and I think even in the second film they really didn't like Michelangelo's nunchucks so they changed that and turned it into like a grappling hook yeah, which like, was a bad... I really? mean, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, kids were hurting themselves? I guess so, yeah. yeah makes sense. Wh- I certainly would which, turn anything into nunchucks. Yeah. Which I, yeah, d- if I could. I did buy, like, toy nunchucks <laughs> yeah, after that. And, I, and by the way, I was I was a little older than, uh, you know, I, the other kids thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. Um, you can email us at uh, David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. I'm on Twitter at, at DaveyPretension. Currently available on the website, uh, West Anthony looks at the music of uh, Good Morning Vietnam over to his Musical Notation podcast. Uh, we, we've got reviews, kind of a slow week. We've got reviews this week of Breath, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Hearts Beat Loud, and Hereditary. So go check those out at BattleshipRetention.com. Tyler's at... 
Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com? Yes. What, what were you going to say? I was going to say, uh, I put this out on Facebook, but I'll put it out now. Uh, so we want to do some more... Um, Ask BP videos. Yeah. So uh, if you have any questions for us, email them to David, yeah, David at battleshipretention.com. Yeah. Uh, and I and will I will anticipate, no, there's nothing new going on in more than one lesson. Okay, so Matt, where can people find you on the internet? Um, at Mr. M-R, Matt Patterson. That's M-A-T-T-P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. All right, thanks for being here. This is a blast of an episode. Yes. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 